Now podcast, where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 187 of the OrthoEvalPal podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about the pezantorhinus. We'll be talking about bursitis, tendonitis. We'll talk about its location, how to find it, and we'll talk about the different causes of pezantorhine pain. We're also going to be reviewing the presentation of what pezantorhine issues look like. And we're also going to, as we usually do, talk about lookalikes, so other diagnoses that look like pezantorhinus issues. And we're also, of course, going to talk about how to treat this issue and so much more. So if you don't mind holding just for a moment, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors. Did you know that over 90% of foot and ankle problems are caused by a tight calf muscle? Introducing the Easy Slant. A durable, adjustable, and portable calf stretching device. The Easy Slant was designed to increase stretching compliance and get you back on your feet and feeling better faster. So if you work with patients seeking to ease or avoid foot pain or clients who want to improve their athletic performance, look no further. Visit EasySlant.com to learn more or order yours today. Enter coupon code OEP for a 10% discount on your first Easy Slant. Ah, welcome back everyone. So as you heard in my last podcast, I was doing a lot of work on the tree farm and uh, that is all starting to wind down. I have about five more trees to uh, extract tomorrow, which will be a pretty easy process. So I'm starting to get a little more time to spend on podcasting and uh, doing videos and whatnot. And so uh, super happy about that. Today we're going to be talking about pezantorhine issues, which are not very common, but you know, we definitely need to know how to identify them and how to treat them. First of all, um, you know, what is the pezantorhinus? And it is where the sartorius, gracilis, and semitendinosus tendons all come together and meet at the medial proximal tibia, okay, about two to three inches just south of the medial anteromedial joint line, okay? And the way I remember Sartorius gracilis semitendinosus as being part of the pes is, uh, and I'll always remember this from college, um, I we say, say grace before T and just can the before, okay? So say grace before T, and uh, that gives us our Sartorius gracilis semitendinosus. Um, and what does pezantorhine mean? Well, because it just doesn't make sense if we talk about the semitendinosus gracilis and Sartorius, um, but pez is the Latin word for foot, and anserine is the Latin root for goose. And so where the tendons, these three tendons, converge at the anteromedial aspect of the tibia, um, it looks just like a, a webbed goose's foot, okay? And that's why they, it was dubbed the name pezantorhinus. Um, the other anatomical structure we need to remember here is the pezantorhine bursa, okay, which resides between the three tendons and the tibia, okay? So it gives a little protection between the uh, tendons and tibia and also um, over the MCL, so it doesn't get too much friction there. So the pezantorhine structure, you know, really helps to stabilize the knee and it helps to prevent valgus. Uh, so the two most common causes 
or issues that we see with pezanserinus is tendinosis, so pezanserinus tendinosis or bursitis. And we see this most oftentimes in long distance runners, especially those who have a little excessive genuvalgus. And also anybody who has maybe a little bit of medial knee instability, maybe they've had an old injury, MCL or the medial capsule, maybe a little unstable, so the knee is giving inward and that pez uh, muscle group is working really hard to stabilize medially. You can also have a little rotatory instability at the knee that causes that pes to really work a lot harder. I may also call it the PA for pezanserinus also as we go. Other issues that we see sometimes are, you know, would be trauma to the pezanserine region. Sometimes, uh, you know, surgical procedures will, will cause irritation to the bursa or the tendons. And you can have fractures in that area. You can have, uh, you know, different... Uh, carcinoma re, uh, you know issues to that uh, spot so there are other you know issues that can cause some irritation and inflammation but usually this is a repetitive problem um, like I said it's not something that you see very often but when you are evaluating these people you should really take into consideration if the knee is going into valgus why is it going into valgus is it just structural knee instability or maybe there's a Pez planus type foot, a flat foot, or glute weakness, glute medius weakness that is causing to, the knee to collapse medially. Um, it could be anything from running uh, on a cambered road against traffic, okay, which is going to cause the right knee to collapse inward a little bit more, to uh, you know running on a track in a certain direction. So there are many reasons. So it's very important that you do a very comprehensive evaluation on the patient, get a good subjective history and see what precipitated this, okay? Why did this come on? What are some of the lookalikes here that we need to be concerned with when we are evaluating somebody with a pezanserine bursitis or tendinosis? Um, medial meniscus tears, medial collateral ligament injuries, okay? So it's kind of in that area, um, but you need to do your selective tissue tension testing and you need to do your special test to try to identify um, which structures are actually irritated here. You could have a medial retinacular plica, that's not too far off, and you can also have some medial joint arthritis, which could be a problem causing some irritation to that um, that you know, anteromedial joint line region, which could radiate down into the pezanserinus region. Um, so how does this typically present? How do we really put a finger on this and tease this out? So number one, identifying the structure. So it's about two to three inches inferior to the anteromedial joint line. Okay. And if you palpate it, it could be swollen. You could feel some swelling there. It's important to uh, palpate the contralateral side too, just to see if they feel the same. You could feel a little bit of warmth there. If there's inflammation and swelling, you could feel that swelling. It'll be tender uh, in that region. And then these people will also have trouble going up and down stairs and especially like climbing an incline where... Um, and, and the incline slope will actually be worse than doing stairs because when you do stairs, the knee is a little more flexed and so you're utilizing the quad a little bit more. But if you're going up a gradual uh, incline like a ramp or a sloped road, your hamstrings are actually working a little bit harder because your knee is a little bit straighter, especially if you're walking up it. And so your hamstrings are activating a little bit more and could cause more irritation there. Um, the other way I like to identify if this is a 
peasants, rhinus, tendinosis type issue, or even bursitis is I contract the hamstrings and see if it hurts in that region. And I also stretch the hamstrings to see if it causes pain in that PA um, location on that anteromedial aspect of the tibia. So, you know, we, we have this isolated pain, this isolated inflammation, swelling. It can be very debilitating. People have difficulty sleeping at night with this. And so how do we treat these issues? Well, Usually, it comes from overactivity and repetitive strain. So we try to modify their activity a little bit, decrease the frequency and duration maybe of running. We might have them avoid running on a cambered road, uh, maybe avoid running on a track in a clockwise position if it's a right knee problem, counterclockwise if it's a left knee problem. And so think about, you know, what are the precipitating factors? What is causing this? And so modify that if you can. I like to stretch the quads, hamstrings, and especially the gastroxoleus complex. And why is that? When people have a tight calf muscle, they don't dorsiflex very well. And to get away from that, because if you can't dorsiflex very well, you end up kind of springing yourself along, your heel comes up a little bit early, so it's not very efficient. So what people do is they externally rotate the hip a little bit. They don't realize they're doing it because it's a subconscious thing. Um, But they externally rotate the hip a little bit, therefore the ankle doesn't need to dorsiflex as much. But as a result the foot will flatten out a little bit more, the knee will go into more valgus, and therefore the pes is going to start working a lot harder. So I'm a huge advocate of gastroxoleus flexibility for many, many reasons. Uh, and I do it, I use it for treating multiple lower extremity issues and even low back pain. Um, then, you know, taking a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory can be helpful if, you know, the PA is really close to the surface of the skin. So in this situation, I think like a non-steroidal cream like Voltaren uh, that you rub on the area can be helpful. I'm not really a big advocate of using these types of uh, creams, especially with deep issues. So like a periformis or a deep calf problem or something like that. But if it's right on the surface, like on the hand or uh, on the pes or patella tendon, tibial tubercle, any of those areas, um, I think that these can can be helpful because it can penetrate uh, a little bit and uh, enough to get to that area and decrease inflammation. I also love to use iontophoresis for this uh, with dexamethasone sodium phosphate over that area. Again, the, uh, the irritation, inflammation, swelling is all just below the surface of the skin, um, and it's very easy to isolate. So, you know, you always pick an area that's about the size of a quarter or smaller to do iontophoresis on, and that can be very uh, effective and beneficial uh, for these folks. I also like to use pulsed ultrasound. Um, I don't like to go thermal on this just because the sound wave will hit that tibia, pop back, and uh, give you a little bit of irritation. It can be quite uh, aggravating. Um, So I like to do pulsed ultrasound over that area. I ice if there's a lot of pain, but if there's not, then uh, you've heard my story about icing and heating, and so I'm not a big advocate of icing to decrease swelling um, or inflammation, but I think it's very helpful with localized pain. Early on, I'm going to hit these folks with glute exercises, okay? So maybe clamshells, I might be doing side-lying abduction exercises, I might get them into some lateral band walking side to side and really get those glutes fired up um, really well. You know, uh, I might even 
throw in a little bit of bridging with the knees bent, not necessarily with the knees straight um, like they would on a ball. And then I, I'm a big advocate of orthotics to try to get better knee alignment, especially if the patient has a flat foot. And so um, I will I will do like a tread labs orthotic or if I, if they're really bad and they're, you know, uh, their growth plates are closed, they're done growing, I might get into a custom orthotic and, and do that also. Once things have settled down a little bit, and that knee is starting to feel better. Then we're going to start working a little bit more on, on quadricep strengthening, higher level glute strengthening, um, better squatting technique, you know, and watching the uh, their biomechanics when they're doing that. And uh, then a slow progression back into the activities that they love, okay? If it's running, squatting, run, uh, you know, uh, biking, whatever it might be, we slowly work back into those activities and uh, progress them as they can tolerate it. Um, you know, diagnostic imaging does have its place here. So, you know, uh, diagnostic ultrasound can be helpful because it's so localized and easy to identify. Um, some people may have a little bit of snapping on the medial side of the knee. So identifying that it is the pes anserinus that is causing this um, can be helpful. Uh, again, you know, MRI uh, can also help. Looking for spurs with an x-ray can also be helpful. But, you know, for the most part, a good clinical exam, which I will um, certainly do my best to put up for you folks the next time I see somebody with a pezanserine bursitis or tendinosis and, um, you know, can, can really nail it. And then you can start treatment right away. And uh, so really, for the most part, I don't really think I've seen many people with PA issues that have required lots of diagnostic imaging. And so, uh, you know, I would, I would definitely focus on a good clinical exam. And I think uh, you will be all set if you can do that. So there you have it, folks, the Pez Anserinus, all in about 13 minutes. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you ever feel like you need some assistance, maybe you're just getting into orthopedics. You've been a physical therapist who has done, um, you know, maybe... Uh, skilled care or, or maybe done some geriatrics, pediatrics, and you're getting into a higher level orthopedic clinic maybe, uh, and you're just not familiar with your knee exam, um, feel free to check out the links in the show notes. I have the uh, what I've called the ultimate knee injury guide, where it gives you just kind of a, a walkthrough about how to evaluate your patients better. And um, the special tests will link you right to videos that show you how I actually do them. And some of these are actually on patients who have actual injuries. Um, and also get ready because I'm going to be doing some downloadable knee evaluation and treatment videos um, coming up and hopefully on patients who actually have injuries. And uh, we'll link all of that just so that it's uh, more practical for you. Because, you know, when you go to a course, sometimes uh, it's difficult because you're working on each other. And most of the time, uh, you don't have pathology, you don't have injury. And so it's hard to see the actual problem and how to evaluate it and how to do special tests. So we're going to try to bring as many um, patients that actually have knee injuries into the video so that you can see what it really looks like to really optimize that, um, that learning experience for you. So folks, um, I hope uh, again, you enjoyed this video. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Take care and have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed the show or some more awesome content. Go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.